It's great to see some familiar faces from around the Highlands. We've lived here for about two years now and uh, we're not quite adjusted to the cold yet. We've uh, just come back from a family holiday on the Gold Coast where it was about 23 degrees most days and uh, I'm getting used to wearing long sleeves and long pants again, but that's okay. Uh, Graham's invited me to come preach this morning to speak on the topic of Bible reading. And so this morning, uh, perhaps more so than any other morning as we open God's Word together, it would be great to have Hebrews chapter 1 open in front of you as we read and, uh, and think about God's Word and this area of life about reading the Bible as Christians. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to think about Bible reading. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God and you've made yourself known to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that today as we look at your word and think about this area of life in our relationship with you as we read your word, we pray that you might encourage us and build us up to be regular readers of your word, regularly listening to what you have to say to us. And we pray that you would help us to form good spiritual habits in our lives, that we might know you better and that we might stand firm in our faith for all the days of our lives. Amen. So uh, here at Robertson Anglican, you're working through a series on spiritual constants, four areas of the Christian life that as Christians, we want to be doing regularly, uh, things that we want to be committed to, things that we as Christians want to love and enjoy, things that we want to prioritize in our life and make regular in our life. And there's really nothing surprising or out there about the four topics. You're looking at church, Bible reading, prayer, and singing. These are four no-brainer topics that we go, yeah, of course we want to be doing them. And so our goal this morning, and perhaps through this series, is not to surprise you with any new ideas, but to remind you of good habits to form as Christians so that we might stand firm. Last week you heard about church how God's work of gathering people from every nation together in Christ is central to Christianity. And so prioritizing this gathering together with God's people is something to love and commit yourself to. It's not something to approach with a consumerist mindset, but something to approach as family, that we are committed to each other in love. And today, Graham has asked me to speak about reading the Bible. And in a lot of ways, this is definitely one of the no-brainer topics reading the Bible. Of course, it's something that Christians should make regular in their lives. My guess is that if you asked anyone on the streets today, what are some things that Christians do in their lives? Bible reading would be up there in the top three responses. But it's also my assumption that while we know that we should be reading the Bible regularly, many of us don't have good Bible reading habits, myself included. And I reckon you probably feel a little bit guilty about that. So my job today isn't to try and convince you that we should read the Bible. I haven't trekked over from barrel to give you a guilt trip. And my job today is to try and show you what a wonderful privilege it is that we have a God who speaks to us. And it's to remind you how wonderful his message to us is. And my job is to do these things so that our appetite, our hunger for God's word might grow that we might begin to crave and hunger God's word as Christians. Because Bible reading and being told to read your Bible regularly can feel a bit like being told to eat your greens, right? We know that it's healthier for us to eat less processed food, less deep fried food, 
One of the shows I'm loving on Netflix at the moment is Deep Fried Masters, where they go to all the state fairs in the south of America and they have these cooking competitions with very fatty deep fried foods. And it's, it's kind of like a train wreck. You shouldn't watch because you know how bad it is, but you can't look away because it's just horrible and amazing all at the same time. You see, the thing is, in life, and when it comes to thinking about Bible reading, we know that it's good to do, but it's so enticing to do other things. To me, a Macca's run is so much more enticing than a trip to Harris Farm. But we know that eating the healthier food is better, and in the same way, we know as Christians that reading God's word regularly for ourselves. And yet, just like me trying to eat salad, we need to train our appetites for it. We need to grow a hunger and a craving for it, And that's not something that always comes easily. But to do that, we're going to take a look at these first four verses from Hebrews chapter 1 and thinking about who God is and how he makes himself known to us and what he tells us about the Lord Jesus. And as I said before, it'd be great to have God's word open to us. The first thing that we see in Hebrews chapter 1, it's straight up there in, in, you know, in the very first verse, is that God is a speaking God. God speaks to us. He's a God who speaks. Verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. It's talking about God's revelation of himself through the Old Testament, which begins with God speaking. Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, and it was so. Now, unlike me trying to be a parent to my children, asking them, telling them to do something, and they don't always listen to what I do, they don't always obey what I ask them to do, God speaks and things happen. God speaks and creation happens. God speaks and everything is made. God's word is powerful. And God speaks to his people. Not only does he speak creation into existence, but he speaks to his people. From uh, his words of blessing in the garden uh, on the man and the woman to go forth, be fruitful, eat, enjoy, fill the earth and subdue it. Through to his warnings about the tree. His words of curse in Genesis 3 to the words of promise to Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. His words of law to Moses and through Moses to all of his people. In the past, God spoke. God spoke to his people at many times and in various ways. Not only did he speak words of promise to people like Abraham, he also spoke words of warning and guidance, words of rebuke and correction, and words of forgiveness through the prophets and through angels. At one point... He even decides to speak to a guy called Balaam through his donkey, which is quite a funny story if you've ever read it. You see, the Old Testament and God speaking in the Old Testament is a bit like a puzzle that's only partially made. It's at many times and in various ways. It's It's the start of the holidays and the puzzle box has been opened and scattered out on the coffee table. The pieces are out and someone's begun to put the pieces into place and they're all there all over the place. There's some order... And there's a vague picture emerging, but it's not the full thing. The Old Testament is the record of God speaking to his people at many times and in various ways. And that's important to know, that God speaks. That's at the very heart of our faith. 
that God has spoken to his people, that he's revealed himself to us through his words. It's important because it means that our faith and our belief isn't something that we've made up. Christianity isn't a religion that's come from us. We haven't figured this out ourselves. Jesus didn't sit in a cave and meditate until he came up with a new world religion. The 12 disciples didn't sit around a campfire one night trying to make up a really neat story to tell. No, the content of our faith is that God speaks to us. God has spoken to us. And what we believe is what he has told us. And so the first thing that we can say about reading our Bibles is that this is what he has given us to get to know him. God has spoken to us at the, in the past at many times and in various ways. And those words have been written down for us today to read and to hear for ourselves so that we might know him. Now think of it this way. Christianity isn't us reaching up striving to reach God with our thoughts, with our imaginations, trying to figure him out. Christianity isn't a grand achievement of philosophy to be comprehended. Now, Christianity is God coming down to speak to us. God condescending himself to tell us about himself so that we might know him. And that's where Hebrews goes in verse 2. That Jesus is God's full and complete word to us. He's spoken in the past, many times and in various ways, through the prophets. But now, verse 2, in these, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Where verse 1 was describing the Old Testament, that partially made puzzle, verse 2 tells us about the new God's full and complete revelation of himself to us, the full and complete picture. And these verses that follow uh, tell us seven things about Jesus. Jesus is the full and final revelation of God to us. And Hebrews chapter 1 will go on to tell us seven things about Jesus. Firstly, God has spoken to us by him. Secondly, he's been appointed the heir of all things. Thirdly, through Jesus, God made the universe. Verse 3, fourthly, he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Fifthly, he sustains all things by his powerful word. And the very fact that you are alive and here today is because Jesus sustains us by his word. Next, uh, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is now seated at God's right hand in glory. Because he's finished the work of providing purification for our sins. And lastly, Hebrews 1 says that he is superior to the angels. And that's a lot of information to pack into this little paragraph. And the rest of Hebrews will unpack a lot of that detail. So here's another tip to start your Bible reading habits. Read Hebrews and you'll learn heaps more about Jesus. But let's think about the main things here. God has spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us in Jesus. Where in the Old Testament the prophets were visited by angels, in these days we've been visited by Jesus, God himself. And who is Jesus? Back in 2013, the Oxford Dictionary, the online Oxford Dictionary, announced the word of the year. And the word of the year was selfie. Here's that youthy illustration for you. 
Uh, fun fact, the word selfie was first used by an Australian. Australians invented selfies, isn't that great? Back in 2002, the first recorded use of the word selfie was an Australian on an internet forum thing. We're innovators, right? The thing is, you can learn a lot about someone from their selfies. You can learn a lot about them from the kinds of pictures they take about themselves. You can tell when someone knows what they're doing and they feel very confident in front of a camera. You can tell when someone's a little bit overwhelmed by the whole camera that faces them thing and doesn't really know what button to press. You can tell if someone is easygoing and fun-loving. You can tell if someone has a messy bedroom when they put their selfies online. You can tell if someone is very concerned to get the right photo of their best side and their best sort of duck face impression thing. Selfies are a strange way that we've found to express ourselves, to communicate who we are, to reveal knowledge about ourselves. And in a way, Jesus is kind of like God's selfie to us. In Jesus, we see God as he truly is. To see God the Son is to see God the Father. To see how Jesus lives and relates to people, to, to see how Jesus teaches about the kingdom and to, is to see what God is like. To see how Jesus powerfully heals the sick and raises the dead and cares for little children is to see how God uses his power. To see Jesus selflessly die on the cross to provide purification for our sins is to see how committed God is to saving his people. To see Jesus rise from death is to see just how powerful God is. That the one thing that humanity is powerless to stop is nothing to God. In Jesus, we see God as he is. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And so as we read the puzzle pieces, the fragments of God speaking to his people through the Old Testament, as we look at the completed puzzle of Jesus and life in him in the New Testament, we are encountering the same God, the same message of salvation. You know, there have been people through history, we call them heretics, who've tried to say that the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New. That in the Old Testament, we see an angry God who is vengeful, like an old man in his garden, hiding away, scolding anyone who walks on the grass. It's like Mr. Davies, who lived across the road from me when I was growing up. He had the nicest lawn, but no one was allowed to walk on it. You know, that's the picture of God that people think is revealed in the Old Testament. But in the New, we see a tender-hearted God who loves little children and cares for the poor and needy. But all you need to do is read the Bible to see that that distinction is not true. You see, Jesus in his life and ministry is just as angry at sin as God is in the Old Testament. And we see God in the Old Testament is just as tender and kind-hearted towards widows and orphans as Jesus is in the New. God has spoken to us. He's spoken to his people in the Old Testament at many times and in various ways. And to us in the last days, he has spoken fully and completely to us in Jesus. And so what are we to do if God is speaking if God speaks to his people, what are we to do? Well, we are to pay careful attention to what we have heard. 
so that we do not drift away. Flip forward to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. And that's exactly what Hebrews tells us to do. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. There's a lot of background to the book of Hebrews that we just don't know. We're not entirely sure who wrote it. I think Paul wrote it, but we're really not entirely sure. We're not entirely sure who it was written to and what they were going through that caused Hebrews to be written to them. But as you read through Hebrews, it becomes clear that there is a real and present danger of these Christians drifting away, giving up on their faith, turning against God in rebellion and hard-heartedness. Hebrews, you'll see it work in stages of rich theology about Jesus, followed by really stern warnings to not grow weary, not turn away, not live in rebellion. And some of these dangers that that these people are facing are passive. The passive kind of weariness of living and growing as Christians, just getting a bit tired of it. And so Hebrews will warn them to pay more careful attention so they don't drift away like a boat that hasn't been anchored properly. Some of the dangers are active. It seems like some in this church are harboring sinful, unbelieving hearts and turning away from God. And so Hebrews warns them of the danger of doing that. And some of the dangers later in Hebrews seem external and outward. Persecution, torture, imprisonment and abuse are all mentioned later on. And you may have seen news coming out of Nigeria lately that this is what Christians around the world are facing today. And But for us here in Australia, I think we face the first two. That passive danger of growing weary of following Jesus. And the active danger of harboring sinful, unbelieving hearts that turn away from God. And I imagine that you can immediately think of people who have drifted from their faith in Jesus. People that you went to youth group with as a teenager. People you taught in Sunday school. Maybe even people who taught you about Jesus. The right antidote here against drifting away is to pay more careful attention. To read God's word more regularly. To train our appetite so that we might hunger and crave God's word more. And what is it that we're training our appetites for? Well, it's not something bland like eating more green food. It's the kind of appetite that where you hear your favorite song and you just want to put it on repeat and listen to it over and over and over again. Enjoying the music. It's listening again and again to the wonderful news of the gospel. That message in chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus has provided purification for our sins and he is now seated at God's right hand in majesty, ruling over everything. Reading the news of our salvation over and over again so that we don't forget what we've been saved from, what we've been saved to, and what God has promised to do in the future. Reading it over and over again so that in the ups and downs of life, we are constantly reminded of what is true and bigger than our circumstances. That Jesus reigns and he'll appear again in glory. And so how do we go about forming better Bible reading habits? I'm no expert here, but I want to share with you a few things that that work for me. And the first is that rather than finding time in your day, make time. It's common sense, right? 
If you want to make a habit, make time to do it. It's the old thing about packing the car for holidays. You put the suitcases in first and all the blankets and beach toys in around it. It's just wise packing habits and it's the same with life. If you want to prioritise something, make time for it. Pack it first. Rather than making the commute to work the big, bulky, immovable thing, think of reading God's word as the big, bulky, immovable thing and pack it first. And can I say that I look back on my teenage years when I was a teenager. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I became a Christian as a teenager. It was those years when I had a lot of extra time. I know school students, teenagers often think they're super busy and they've got hours and hours of homework to do. You actually have more time than the rest of us. This is a good time to form good habits, a good time to get up early or stay up a bit later reading God's word. Make it a habit. And confession time here, often the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning is to grab my phone and check social media. Like this morning, it was checking the Tour de France news to see what happened to Chris Froome. He's okay. And the first thought in my head every single morning as I open social media is that this is ridiculous. It's about the worst way that I can start my day, by feeding an unhealthy addiction. But I also know that my brain is quite fuzzy first thing as I come to terms with being awake. And so for me, what works really well, what I've scheduled into my day, most days at work, and this is a perk of working in ministry, I get that, is that I take my morning coffee break from work as my Bible reading time. At about 10.30 in the morning, when everyone is starting to crave a bit of caffeine and some carbs, that's when I get up, I go down the road for a coffee, and I sit and read my Bible. That's when I'm more awake. My brain is working. I can think clearly. I can focus. I can read and pray. But it only happens if I make the time rather than trying to find the time. On the phone thing, while we have uh, Bible apps and those things are great, I actually find them less helpful for devotional reading. I think the screen size format is not made for deep thought and reflection it's made for quick skimming and, and you know not reading deeply looking at headings rather than paragraphs and so while it's convenient to have your bible on your phone i don't think it actually works for deep uh, deep thought and bible reading maybe it does work for you uh, i know for myself uh, there's way too much distraction with notifications and uh, i've also noticed how easy muscle memory becomes to close the bible app and open the facebook app rather than focusing on reading and praying as a dad, Bible reading is something that I've prioritised for my family. Now, Karen and I do this. We leave a stack of kids' Bibles near the dinner table so that on the nights of the week when we're able to all sit down together, when there's no ballet or cubs or things like that, uh, we sit down and at the end of dinner, no one's allowed to leave the dinner table until we've read a chapter of a kid's Bible and we've prayed together. That's a habit that Karen and I are trying to instil in our kids. And that's a responsibility of Christian mums and dads, dads especially. It's our job to lead the way for our families in forming these habits. Perhaps uh, you've been reading the Bible for a long time in life and you sort of sit down to read your Bible and you open the contents page and you're going, where do I start? Perhaps something that you can do is to shake it up a little bit. Rather than reading it, listen to it. There are audio Bibles around the place that are easy to find. If you have an Amazon account, here's a little life hack. You can sign up to Audible for a free one-month trial. They give you a credit, and with that credit, you can buy an NIV audio Bible and listen to that. 
I've got the NIV read by David Suchet. He's a, he's a British voice actor and he's got an excellent voice and it's great. My wife has been using her commute to listen to God's word and it's refreshing. It's a different way of engaging with God's word. Or perhaps uh, if you've been raised in that tradition of reading a chapter or reading a section, shake it up a little bit. Find a 45-minute block in your day and try and read a whole book of the Bible in one sitting. You'll see really great things emerging uh, that you might not have noticed before. I always struggled to understand Hebrews. found it really difficult to read a chapter at a time. One day I was on a long train trip and the train stopped in a tunnel and we were delayed for a while. And I thought, why don't I read? And I got to read all of Hebrews and suddenly things clicked into place and the whole book made a bit more sense. We have a good tradition of reading by ourselves, that personal devotion, reading it by ourselves. But another thing that we can do is to read it together. A youth group I used to lead um, up in the northern part of Sydney, uh, we'd been on a youth camp and our year 12 kids came away very convicted that this was a big year for them and they didn't want to lose their habits. They didn't want to prioritise their study over their devotion to God. And so they made an agreement that because they all got on the same train for school together, that they would meet 45 minutes earlier at a cafe across the road from the train station and they would all get their morning coffee and sit and read, do their own Bible reading. And uh, we thought, well, that's a great idea. Why don't we invite everyone along? And we would sort of got to the point where we'd pack out the back room of this cafe. And it wasn't just our church. It was a few other churches, teenagers that would come along and a few of the adults that would join us as well. And we'd all just have a coffee and sit doing our own Bible reading and then naturally flow into conversation about what God had been teaching us that morning as we read our Bibles. And it became something that we all really looked forward to, to meet at a cafe at seven o'clock and read our Bibles together. We all really enjoyed it and, and it was sad when they went off to university and their timetables changed and you know that, that thing didn't keep going, but that was a great idea. But the last thing I want to say to you is that good habits take time. I know whenever my reading habits have been off and I've tried to get back into reading it, I kind of have this expectation in mind that I'll open my Bible and the clouds will part and the sun will shine down on me and everything will be amazing and right in the world and my heart will be perfectly in tune with God. But that's not how it's supposed to work. Our culture of instant gratification doesn't really help us here. We need to appreciate the mundane, the normal, regular habit, the benefit of reading God's word every day. You might have heard it before that you don't remember every meal that you've ever eaten. And not every meal was sort of master chef amazing. But we've been constantly fed and sustained by the regular, normal, mundane meals. And reading God's word is the same. There is more benefit in reading God's, God's word regularly because it's the best way of getting to know God himself better. Get used to just normal Bible readings, just the regular. There's a guy I go to church with called Stan. Stan's a retiree. He moved to the Highlands about six years ago when his wife became very ill and needed specialist care. Stan became a Christian in the Billy Graham Crusades in 1959. And he told me that he's read his Bible almost every single day since he became a Christian. Now, Stan's also the first to tell me that he hasn't read it every day. There have been patches of time where his reading habits have been, well, patchy. But he's also one of the most faithful and godly men that I know. 
because he's prioritised this Bible reading habit of his. Through his wife's illness and when she passed away about a year ago, the big spiritual constant in his life that kept him going, that helped him cope with his grief, caring for a wife with dementia, was his daily Bible reading. He came and visited our teenage Bible study one day and the thing that impressed me was his, his love and devotion to his wife when she couldn't remember who he was. He'd go and feed her twice a day. The thing that impressed our teenagers was that he'd been reading the Bible for nearly 60 years. And the big question they had for him was, how do you not get bored? And he said, there's just too much in there to discover. He said he'll read old things over again and discover new things that he hadn't noticed before. And partly he feels dumb for not noticing it before, but partly he's really excited because he's noticing new things all the time. There's always more to get to know about God from reading his word. There's always more to hear about from God. There is always more of God to get to know. Always more of the gospel to be read, to to hear, to be reminded of, and to enjoy. And so will you commit yourselves to training your habits training your appetite to love God's word. Let me pray for you as we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You've spoken to us at the past in many times and in various ways through the prophets in the Old Testament. And you've revealed yourself to us fully and finally in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him we can know you. And so we pray that you would help us here at Robertson Anglican and all your people everywhere to be good Bible readers, to love reading your word, to love hearing from you, to love feeding on it daily. Help us to make time in our lives. Help us to prioritise it so that we might not drift away, but we might stand firm with you. Amen.